So nobody investing in ICOs today, not in a significant way either, they don't actually care what it says in the white paper. None of them think that these companies are going to do anything except send their CEO to South America to buy a Lambo and disappear, right? (laughs) Because if you've been in business for longer than five minutes, you know that if there's no onus on you to show a return for your $30 million investment, you have two options, South America Lambo or work your ass off for 10 years and actually turn some value on this thing. Support for this podcast is brought to you by the Blockchain Academy. The Blockchain Academy was established in 2015 to provide training and consulting on cryptocurrencies worldwide. To date, the Academy has provided training in five African countries to clients such as central banks, the African Development Bank, and some of South Africa's largest financial institutions. The Academy offers seven different courses ranging from beginner to advanced levels of understanding and covers a wide range of topics on blockchain technology. And for all listeners of the Matt Brown Show, you will receive a 25% discount on any course offered by the Blockchain Academy. All you need to do is simply send an email to info at blockchainacademy.co.za with the reference code Matt Brown Show, and you will get that 25% discount. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Bitcoin Events. Bitcoin Events' fourth annual Blockchain Africa conference is just three months away and has received tremendous interest from industry experts around the world. Blockchain expert CEO of Ban Ki-moon and co-founder CEO of Centbee, Lorian Gamarov, will kick off the conference in Johannesburg as the master of ceremonies. Other speakers include the head of business development at Consensus and co-founder of Consensus Capital, Andrew Keyes from the United States, founder and CEO of BitPesa, Elizabeth Rosello from Senegal, leader of Rand Merchant Bank's blockchain initiative, Fazar Masani, co-founder and CEO of Luno, Marcus Swanepoel from South Africa, and CEO of the IXO Foundation, and Connolly from Canada. So do not miss this event on the 8th and 9th of March in 2018 in Johannesburg to meet some of the global thought leaders and experts in this industry. Simply visit blockchainafrica.co to buy your ticket and for more information. Hey guys, so blockchain, Bitcoin, and this whole space is seemingly a very hot subject right now. In fact, my media agency was informing me earlier this week that South Africans search for Bitcoin more than any other country in the world per capita. That's an insane stat. And so Crypto Cape Town was my third sold out live show in a row. And this time we explored the inner workings of initial coin offerings or ICOs and token sales. The event was sponsored by Bitcoin Events, Blockchain Academy, Luna and PwC came to the table. And on the night, my Twitter feed was going crazy. You can check out the hashtag CryptoCPT, a C-R-Y-P-T-O-C-P-T to catch what was being discussed on the night. Also check out the one picture which was retweeted so many times. I think it may have been the most retweeted picture of a blockchain panel ever. Your panelists for the event were Sonia Canal, the founder of the Blockchain Academy, Simon Dingle, the CEO of Phantom Design, Van Van Royen from Luno, South Africa's largest cryptocurrency exchange, Paul Mitchell, PwC FinTech and Blockchain Lead, and Samir Saab, the head of product development for Getwala, who have just gone through their own ICO process recently. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Alrighty, let's do this. So... 
when you look at the ICO market, I think you've got two schools, right? You've got the kind of uh, the protagonists, which are kind of everyone here, right? ICO is rule. We're in backing ICOs. This is the future of alternative funding, and it promises a whole lot more. But then you've got the likes of, you know, Jordan Balfour, who labeled ICO as the biggest scam ever, quote unquote. Um, Bruce Ornt, uh, the chairman of the NASDAQ, says that I, the ICO market poses no threat to the NASDAQ. And by the way, the NASDAQ, according to him, still remains the best place for business businesses to go and raise their capital. And all of this despite over 3 billion heading towards the 4 billion mark of capital US dollars being put into the ICO market. So this is a market that's booming, right? Okay, yes, it doesn't effectively represent like the rest of the ocean in terms of market cap, but again, market cap's a bit of a crap discussion to have, right? But, uh, but a question to the panel, are ICOs here to stay or is this a flash in the pan thing? I think... Um ICOs are overvalued and it's due for a correction. I'm probably skewed towards the negative side of ICOs and try to counter what some of the other people on the panel would say ICOs are great for. Simon, what are your views? Uh, suppose I, I'm similar to Werner. Um, I have a dichotomous view in that I think 99% of the ICOs we've seen today have been complete trash. Actually, probably more than 99%, but <laughs> it's a conservative estimate. However, I think the ICO idea uh, is an egg that's not going to go back into its shell. I think it's the future of funding, and it's massively exciting. It's free money, right? So if you're, if you're raising money as a startup, you give away equity or you take debt, those both come with, with handcuffs. Uh, if you can get free money out of somebody, then why wouldn't you? But yeah, 99% of the scams and nine, of the, 9 out of 10 of the rest are going to fail. So, Although ICOs don't preclude you giving equity. They don't no. preclude you giving, giving investors something. It, I think it's a new model that's being abused right now mm. with regulation and smarter people doing it. We'll see legitimate token sales where you are actually getting equity or something. Yeah, the right ones are, are the future. It's a, it democratizes the whole process. I mean, you don't need some mate in Silicon Valley. Mm. So, so I'm quite excited about ICOs because I find I've got a startup called Butcher. You know, we're struggling to find funding. It's like being in, <laughs> so at a news uh, president. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not used to this. You are. Um, so it's a very nice way to raise funding if you're really struggling to find funding from VCs. And um, it's much, uh, making it much easier for startups to actually do really cool stuff and get funding. But I do find that a lot of these ICOs um, are raising enormous amounts of money. And it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, there's one example, I think it's Tezos, which raised one of the most uh, money ever raised in an ICO was $220 million dollars. Um, which is a ridiculous amount of money. You know, how are they going to spend that money? You, there's no transparency in terms of what they... To some extent, they have a roadmap on their website, so you can see how they're going to plan to spend this money. But the governance on that is very difficult to monitor. So, you know, I like Walla, though. Uh, I read your white paper. Do you like Walla? Um, so Walla is awesome. I really like that. And Why do you like financial Walla? inclusion. Uh, it's looking at the unbanked and underserved. But I also like uh, Amisigo, which is actually looking at taking the banked and unbanking them, which is something I'm quite passionate about in my personal capacity. So this technology is not all about banking the unbanked, but certainly unbanking the banked as well. So I, I feel like I just got judged. Um, <laughs> but so, so I actually agree with everyone. I think that ICOs, I think that ICOs are here to stay. I think that we're very early on in what ICOs are and what they will be. They will evolve. The market will evolve. Investors, backers will become more intelligent and 
really with any new technology, any new source of funding, the first people in are always the ones that will abuse it because people know less and less about it. So yes, you can look at plenty of examples where people have scammed backers already in this in this very young market, but those will go away over time as the, the market does become more intelligent. Yes, and it so doesn't have to be. And the interesting about, thing about it is that it may not be equity that, that ICOs offer, but there are other ways to return value to early backers. And I do believe that, I, I do know that those will all have to fit within um, regulatory models that actually enable uh, ICOs to flourish in the future. Uh, but we're, we're just getting started with, with this market. So speaking of um, regulation and so forth, and when you look at China and South Korea banning ICOs, um, and we always have this discussion about regulation. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? If you want to create mass adoption, typically, the, this, again, two schools of thought. One, you need regulatory frameworks in order to help the thing scale, to control the Wild West, which is kind of what the ICO space looks like at the moment. And I guess that's kind of why, uh, or at least uh, my objective view, is why China and South Korea have kind of banned ICOs, right? But is this a sign of the kind of economic order trying to control this thing that's effectively a disruption in the economic machine in and of itself? Well, um, governments uh, have a tough job, right? Like they need, to, they need to protect their citizens. So they can ban something or they can embrace something or they can do nothing. Most governments will do nothing because it's easiest. I think banning something might make sense in the short term. But in the long run, regulation will come, even even in China and South Korea and hopefully South Africa. Simon, what are your views on regulation? So there, I'm a big fan of regulation in some industries. Like when I get on a plane, I like to know that the pilot has a license. <laughs> and I like to know that the plane's been serviced uh, recently. So I'm a big fan of uh, aviation regulation. In the financial market, however, regulation's kind of backfired more than, it ha- more than it's helped. What, what regulation tends to do in, in the financial industry is enable criminals and make it really hard for honest businesses and individuals to get about their daily lives. Not all of it, of course. So I think regulation has a role to play. I think it's going to be light touches in the future. I think that regulators have a lot to get their heads around, like they have in transportation, for example, with Uber, around self-policing networks. Um, It's not that when an Uber arrives in an industry, you don't require regulation. It's just that you require a lot less, and you can actually outsource a lot of what you used to do or offload it into the network itself. So distributed and decentralized networks give us this opportunity to build things that please and regulate themselves. And cryptocurrencies are largely an example of this. So we definitely need regulation at the entry points to these networks, depending on who you speak to. But once you're in the network itself, there's really light touches, if any, required. And I think um, because regulators perceive that as this disintermediation, they will naturally be resistant to it. Um, but it ultimately won't matter. Yeah, I think there's one other element that regulation provides, and that's protection for incumbents. And that's ultimately the, the biggest challenge. And you don't want the regulators to get involved too heavily too early on. And so the regulators that are taking the, the, the sandbox approach, the, the wait and see, I think is the most appropriate. Uh, the people that get involved earlier are the risk takers and let the, the private markets experiment. Let them try and figure out what makes the most sense before coming in with a, with a heavy-handed approach. And I actually disagree about China. I actually think that that's a perfect example of protectionism. I think that China has always taken that approach with their entire economy, and this is something that they want to get out in front of and, and try and control before they actually make it fully legal. Stay with us. 
We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. So, so my opinion is that regulations should definitely follow innovation, um, and we're seeing that in a lot of countries. Uh, for example, in Nigeria, uh, a few years ago, the Nigerian government clamped down very heavily on Bitcoin and uh, you know blockchain-based companies in Nigeria, and they've done a complete turnaround. And in fact, we, as a blockchain academy, are busy engaging with them on how to educate the actual central bank on using this technology, whether it is to issue their own cryptocurrency as a sovereign currency or to support the ecosystem in Nigeria. Um, And we're seeing the same in South Africa. South Africa in 2014, you know, they came out with their white paper. They said uh, Bitcoin is not legal tender. They were warning the public against using Bitcoin. And they've now, three years later, they've created a sandbox environment for companies such as Lorian Gamarov's company called Banky Moon to test in a regulated environment his idea, which is a Bitcoin wallet or any other sort of technology around this. So you are seeing the banks, once they educate central banks, once they're educated and they really understand this technology, they do a 360 um, and they decide to actually wait and see before they implement heavy-handed regulation. I think I think the challenge is that, that the regulators are trying to apply old world regulations to the new rule to the new world, and it just doesn't it doesn't work well. So there's there's, there's not much innovation in regulation. The sandbox is a great start, um, and the regulation lagging the innovation is inevitable and, and has to happen because you've got to work out what people are doing before you can regulate it. But trying to take something like the Howey test and apply it to ICOs, you've got a 70 year old test. What is the security? It's it's. It, it's cute, but it's meaningless. <laughs> it's difficult. I think the only way for the industry to grow up, actually, is through regulation. Like, real money only comes to play when it's in a regulated market. Like, there's many hedge funds who won't touch, for instance, Bitcoin um, or banks or other, other types of funds. It's just too risky for them. Their compliance department says, you need to operate in a regulated environment. We need to say, we need to have a statement somewhere by a central bank saying, this is how you should treat, let's say, Bitcoin transactions and storing it for your customers. Once that comes into existence, like it has in Japan, it flourishes. So I think um, I think digital currencies are a little bit like that band that you see at the indie coffee shop, and they're really cool. And like, there's a small crowd of people very passionate about it, but it needs to become an annoying sellout band like U2 or something that everybody hates, and sell out stadiums. And the only way that it's going to get there is, I believe, through but through through eventual regulation. Recently, we had the Chinese government banning ICOs in September and October. 
And in my opinion, that was a good thing because there were so many scams and so many dodgy ICOs being formed. Who was going to protect the consumer? So the government has to step in when this new technology is being, you know, misused. And they also are rescinding on that. They they banned Bitcoin and they banned ICOs, but then they take a you know a better stance on that a few months later. So they do a turnaround on that once they've regulated the Bitcoin exchanges and they've seen that they are you know operating according to. To FICA and all this. So the governments have a part to play in this. They definitely do. We, you know, some people hate the governments, they hate the banks, but there is a role for everyone to play in this. Yeah, so I, I don't think that uh, what's going to make the market or what's going to drive uh, cryptocurrencies mainstream is, uh, is regulation, but I think the, the ultimate thing is utility. That's the only reason a consumer is going to adopt and actually use any sort of cryptocurrency as their, their primary method of either uh, exchange or uh, store of value. And eventually there is a point where enough consumers are getting value from that uh, that the regulator will, will try and step in. And maybe that gives it more credibility. But it's kind of ironic because the entire reason that Bitcoin exists is as an alternative to central bank-backed currencies. Just similarly, like in, in the case of Uber, Uber isn't great and exists because it breaks rules. It's great and exists because it's cheaper and a better experience. The consumers follow utility and value, and then when enough consumers adopt and it impacts enough people, then the regulators will follow. Although I think uh, you know we are talking about something completely unlike Uber in that you can also get really rich really quickly adopting this technology, and so there's like some form of utility uh, in and of itself. There is utility, yeah. So 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 I think a few things. Firstly, there is a regulatory framework for the old world to play with this money, and and they are, and that's why we see we seeing the price today starting to approach ten thousand dollars for Bitcoin, is because for the most part central banks view what we're doing as playing around with intangible assets, right? So they really don't give shit what you do with it. Um, it's like any other intangible assets. They just want to know about it when there's a capital gains event, etc. It doesn't preclude institutional money getting involved. And, and as I said this week, that's what we've started to see happening is the first murmurings of the big money arriving in the space. So I disagree that we need regulation there. We've got all the regulation we need already. Um, of course, what they're overlooking is the role of these things as currencies, um, which is a, a completely different discussion. But I also think that the tendency to talk about things like Bitcoin and Ethereum and Dash in the same breath as ICO tokens, it's a little bit like like, you know, discussing the shoelace market and Nachi's in the same breath. It's, they, they're not the same thing, right? They both run on a blockchain, except some of them don't anymore. Some of them aren't, don't have blocks anymore. They're just chains. Others are block graphs. So we're already seeing this proliferation of technology, and that's why the term cryptocurrency is more correct. But also an ICO token and, and, and Bitcoin are two different things, and I think the regulation that's going to emerge is going to be very different. Another, another thing that, that often muddies the water is confusion between legal tender and currency. A currency is not legal tender, right? So there is not a single country on earth that has declared that cryptocurrency can be used as legal tender. Legal tender means that you pay your debts in it, but more importantly that you have to accept repayment of debt in that currency. That hasn't happened. What Japan has said is that we see this as currency, which means that if you want to use it like money, which you can also do with e-bucks in South Africa, then go ahead. And of course the regulation is very different there um, from countries like the UK, where there's uh, you know specific legislation for, for, for digital or electronic money. So it becomes a very complex 
complex discussion very quickly, um, but I would challenge the old world to get involved already. There's no reason not to. It's not illegal. Uh, it is. It does fall within existing regulation around assets and intangible assets. Um, and I think that's why you know we're starting to see even old mutual, for God's sake, saying that they they're going to jump into the space. Like if those guys are willing to do it, then you know you're in you're you're in safe territory. I actually went. I uh, actually taught uh, from the blockchain academy side. We went to old mutual last week, and they're very interested in this technology. But yes, so I, I just feel uh, there's lots of opportunities around ICOs generally, and if if you choose the right ones, maybe Walla is a good example of that. You can definitely really have some really good use cases and solves real world problems like financial inclusion. Um, but you've got to read the white paper. I don't know how you know educated everyone is on initial coin offerings. We sort of got straight into it. But read the white paper. Look at the team. Make sure the advisors are well known. You know, cryptocurrency enthusiasts. They've they've been in this industry for a while. Ironically enough, when I bought my first ICO, which was in October this year, I didn't read the white paper. I was so excited about this ICO thing. Um, and it was a, a token called Vibrate, which is for the music industry to basically connect music uh, musicians directly with uh, booking agents. So they don't need an intermediary to go through. And I like that. I just like the concept. So I bought a few tokens and I got into it. But that was a mistake. You should really do your homework before you get into these ICOs. Although I agree with you that we should care about what these companies are up to and what they're saying in their white papers. It's just obvious that nobody does, right? Mm. So nobody investing in ICOs today, really? not in a significant way either, they don't actually care what it says in the white paper. None of them think that these companies are going to do anything except send their CEO to South America to buy a Lambo and disappear, right? <laughs> because if you've been in business for longer than five minutes, you know know that if there's no onus on you to show return for your $30 million investment, you have two options, South America Lambo or work your ass off for 10 years and actually turn some value on this thing. I'm going to go with the Lambo. <laughs> and, and the investors don't care because they're just looking for the bounce on the day, right? Like who has got in, involved in an ICO because you read the white paper and vetted the team and thought they were smart and were going to produce a product? Yeah, some people do. Who got involved in an ICO because you thought you were going to make a fuck ton of money in five minutes? Right? <laughs> All right. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's a very different uh, answer you get when you're at cryptocurrency uh, events and you're talking to the people doing the ICO themselves and all the hands go up. Um, but I think that's the majority of people putting money into ICOs today. They're people who got involved in cryptocurrencies very early on. They made a lot of money for nothing. They're sitting on pools of it right now. There's opportunities for them to make even more. Um, and so they just wash it around between whichever token is hot today and that they see the hype around um, that fits their profile. Uh, they hit the bounce, they cash out, and they get into the next one. Cool. So I was going to talk about, um, well, how many of you have heard about ICO pump and dump schemes before? Okay, fucking all the extra smart here. Yeah? But um, I just I did some kind of research just specifically on this point. And I don't know if you guys have heard of a website called Fiverr. It's kind of like a crowdsourcing place. Where you get stupidly cheap logos and stuff done that really looks terrible. <laughs> but basically, you can go there. Let's just say, um, how many of you here are business owners? Okay, quite a lot of you, right? So let's say you wanted to ICO your business because you can. So you can go to Fiverr and you can actually get a written white paper from Fiverr for $80. Yeah. Okay, so your barriers to entry are, are pretty damn low, right? So congratulations. And then, like, I don't know how many of you here have heard about that, um, is it Texas? 
Tezos, yeah, sorry, yeah. For $232 million raised in the ICO, now they've got a class action against them for basically selling unregistered securities to U.S. residents. And that's, that's closer to worth about $500 million now. Because now? The, okay. Bitcoin so, and Ethereum have skyrocketed since then. Okay, right. So, so basically, I think from an investor's perspective, it's kind of like the Wild West out there, right? So how do you know what uh, type of ICO to back and those to run away from. So yeah, I had lunch with um, uh, the CEO of a media company uh, earlier this week, and he was talking to me about his portfolio. He put about half a million rand into basically a distributed portfolio, right, to, to protect the downside and all that kind of cool stuff. And basically, he, he invested into ICOs just because it made sense from a risk perspective. It had nothing necessarily to do with the quality of the team that was running the ICO or the quality of the product or the why, you know, why should this token be used at all and in fact attract buyers, period. Um, and so just to recap, like what's the advice for investors when it comes specifically to ICOs? How do you know what to touch and what to walk away from when it is kind of very gray out there? Well, it's the same advice as you would give anybody about investing in anything. Don't invest into something that you don't understand. Like, don't forget that. Like, learn as much as you can about the industry, about the founders, about what they're doing, what the use case is, what their background is, what competitors they have. If they don't have any competitors, like, maybe that's, there's a good reason for that. Don't forget the basics of business. Just because there's a business that now can suddenly raise capital from you, it doesn't mean that they're going to survive. There's going to be a big crash, but we will also have, like we had with the dot-com crash, the, 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 the Amazons that survived and became you know, the largest companies in the world that we have today, Google, that survived the crash. Uh, there's going to be those. And I think Ethereum might be the first one. Ethereum raised, actually, uh, was maybe the first ICO. Which token did you just add to your exchange in the last two weeks? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we do sell Ethereum. Um, but uh, I think maybe, maybe something like Ethereum could, could be, I'm not saying it's going to be, could be the Amazon in the long run. But there's going to be a lot of pets.com and a lot of, a lot of other ones that are just going to crash. Um, whenever people invest in something they don't understand, it forms bubbles. And that's the same with the housing market. Oh, I buy a flat because I can get a loan. I don't understand the housing market. You, you, you're part of, you're part of like perpetuating a bubble that way. And it comes down at some stage. But I also think uh, like EOS is an exciting uh, ICO. Um, I think they're still busy running their ICO until early next year. And what they're doing is they're really solving a, a real problem, which is the blockchain architecture and the scaling issues around blockchain. I don't, don't know how many people are aware of all the scaling issues going on with Ethereum, with Bitcoin. Um, and those are real issues, and they're really addressing those issues. So uh, if you also connect with the idea of an ICO and what they're trying to achieve on a personal level and a business level, then really look at that. Uh, don't just go in. I saw an ICO yesterday called Sportify, and I think Charlie Shrem is one of the advisors. Now, he's quite a controversial figure in Bitcoin, but um, so, you know, there's, there's an ICO for everything. There's an ICO for funding athletes to, you know, have more investments so that, that they can run faster and all this. But look at something that really appeals to you and really solves real-world problems. And I think the, to what you're saying, there's, there's, a, there's, a kind of, there's a kind of hobby element to it. So do something you believe in. 
but believe in maybe from a passionate perspective this is something you're into as athletes or, or whatever but I think also do your research about where you think stuff's going to happen so if you think that distributed storage is going to be going to be the best thing then buy a selection of those things because you don't know which one of those businesses whether it's SEA or Filecoin or storage which one of those is going to going to come through and actually going to be successful so you might want to hedge your bets across that that category or maybe by region maybe you think well China's going to be massive when, when that stuff starts to take off so I'm going to invest in, in, in ICOs and businesses based in China because I see the scale there and, and so on so pick something in a category that makes sense or think or you could say well I think I'm going to have, try everything so I'll try and pick the best identity one and the best infrastructure one and the best um, uh, the best storage one and so on and try and pick a winner from each category there's lots of different ways of approaching it but don't go into something you, you don't uh, without thinking about it despite the make a fuck ton of money suggestion <laughs> yeah. yeah I think there have been a few different things that have driven attention and, and interest in ICOs in, in just the last nine months alone um, uh, you know, at first it was just an interesting white paper, and then there was hype, and then there was, uh, oh, the advisors that they have behind them, um, and then it was signals like, oh, has Pantera Capital put money into them? But the reality is, is that none of that actually ensures that a team isn't going to walk away with with the money, and you know, suddenly someone has fifty million dollars, and it's this is more money I could have ever hoped to make why do I even bother working anymore? Um, the only way that you can actually protect against that is to make sure you back a company that has good governance. Governance is an important word in everything, but especially in the crypto space. Um, make sure that when you do invest in, in one of these companies that you understand who owns or who controls those funds, who controls the, the ether that you're investing, what happens when um, that ether is going to get converted into to fiat currency, uh, who gets what tokens when. Uh, it's, it's imperative that the, the, the founders, the, the backers, um, and then the ultimate users of the token are, are all completely aligned. Um, and I still think we're, we're, well, we're very, very early in understanding how to even value tokens. Um, we take a obvious economic uh, approach. Supply and demand will we'll set it when it hits the market. But before that, we're, we don't really have a great or a perfect model on, on how to determine what the value of these tokens are. There is some interesting work being done in the space, so, so try and do your own type of analysis to make sure that what you're buying into actually has the potential to, to grow like you hope. So, so my first question for any new ICO when I when I meet the founders or when I get an advisory appeal email, which I've got a special folder for now, um, my my first question to them always is, why do you need a token? Right? You you made a token, you've issued it ERC twenty Zeppelin, cool. Why why do you need a token? If you need money, I'll send you some Ether or some Bitcoin, right? What's the token for? Now, I'm not saying that the token being a representation of my holding and whatever they're doing isn't enough, but I think the ICOs, the ITOs that are that 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 are really doing something meaningful so far, they've actually got utility for the token itself. So the token is doing a job within their network, and that's why they need a, t a token. If they don't have a utility for their token, that's fine. But then ask them what the token means. You know, are you going to issue me a share certificate, and my token represents that equity. Um, that's that could be another reason why you need a token, etc. But but generally, that's where where, where the, the the first way you start kind of separating the wheat from the chaff is when the guys don't have a good reason for having a token, then you need to know that the only reason they're doing this ICO in the first place is because they see all this free money on the table and they don't want to miss out. 
So let's talk about um, tokens themselves. I mean, how many of you, when you backed ICOs, actually understood how to assign value to that particular token? In other words, what what process, or did you adopt a process to understand exactly whether or not this token specifically would give you a return? How many of you were clear around that process? Okay, so very few of you. So I think the first question from my view in terms of tokens is, um, why should people buy it and what makes it great? So from an investment perspective, how do you assign or what process or methodology or frame should you use to understand whether or not a token that you're effectively buying or investing in will have value in the future? So I don't think you can really determine that. Uh, it's very hard to, from when you're buying a token, to actually know where that token is going to go. Um, it's it's very speculative, and it's it's a gamble. It is a little, like we said in the beginning, a Wild West scenario. So for me, I just invested in an ICO because I thought it was interesting and a unique concept. There was no particular, like, I want to make a million rand out of this. I just thought this was a cool concept, and let's see where it goes. It was money I was I could afford to lose. Um, Samir, can you walk us through your um, token strategy for Walla? Hey, like I said, I don't know if anyone has a perfect way on how, a perfect um, understanding of how to uh, to value these these assets, especially the ones that are, are acting as, as cryptocurrencies, as, as Walla hopes to, or as, as Dala uh, hopes to, to fill in the future. I'm forgetting my own token. My favorite uh, voice in the space, though, is by a guy named Chris Berniski. Um, you know him. He uh, he's uh, he's adopted a a velocity model as as a way to to measure what the the potential worth is for for a token's utility now and into the future. Um, and so I encourage you to when you invest in uh, a cryptocurrency, especially one that acts um, through in an ICO. Uh, one that acts as a, a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or or Dala to to understand that model because it'll help you. Um, start to see the different um, factors that are important. And, and the main factors that go into that are, what is the size of the market? So how much in assets could be represented and, um, and utilized and moved by this token? And then the other key element is velocity. So how often is, is that, that total asset base gonna move? And that is, those are the two um, largest drivers in um, what determines the, the token's potential price? So well, that, that's what we've used as our as our basis. Hypothetically, right? Because there's there's a, a stark contrast there between the Keynesians and the Austrians. So I, I'm not an economist. I don't know if we have any economists on the panel. <laughs> if we have any economists in the room, I'd love to get your uh, your opinion on on the velocity hypothesis because I, I'm not sure. I think that might be one dimension of the discussion. Well, I think but it's, I another, it's another one about taking a taking a 200 year old model and applying it to um, applying it to something modern but maybe it works I don't know maybe Keynes was really smart and you know, that's, that's going to work out but we don't know yeah unfortunately that's the best we have to go on at the moment uh, and so s people smarter than me can, can apply their own analysis and then if it sounds reasonable then I will uh, until it's refuted by someone smarter with a with a better hypothesis or theory then that's what, what I'll pursue but, but to get back to, to your question Matt I think um I think following curiosity is not a bad thing. Um, yeah, I invested in the original DAO, 
that turned out great. <laughs> My favorite token actually is still the unicorns I own from, um, from donating to, to uh, the Ethereum Foundation. Um, and that's a, cool way, that's a cool way to do it as well, is, is no bullshit. Just we have this token, it's called a unicorn because unicorns are awesome. And if you give us some money for our foundation, you're not going to get anything back, but you're going to be supporting a good cause and we'll give you this thing that we made, <laughs> um, which is fine. Um, but, I, but I think back to what Werner was saying earlier around investing around what you understand, um, that coupled with you know, not gambling with more money than you're willing to lose, um, is, is follow your curiosity into things that, that interest you, things that you understand. Um, you know, I look at these things as technologies first. I'm an investor second and, and a complete amateur. Um, but I'm, always, I'm, I'm curious about the, the, the technology and, and what's being done with it. Um, and, and that's where the value will come from, I think. A really interesting uh, uh, example of that is Raiden. Is anyone here familiar with the Raiden network? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the Raiden network is a is an off uh, chain solution to to help um, ease the the scalability problems that are going to be coming to to main chains like uh, Ethereum. Um, so they just did an ICO, and everyone in the space knows that there is no utility for Raiden's token. It's actually I we uh, with with Dala are going to be using Raiden as as part of our infrastructure, um, and there's no need to to use the Raiden token. But that token um, was well supported by the community, uh, and for a lot of people, it was because uh, just the the value that it was going to be providing to to Ethereum and the overall all, all other tokens. And for some reason, the token is up 10x since its ICO last month. But I think also what happened with uh, Radian was um, they're trying to scale the Ethereum network and the developers need to be paid. And so they kept some of the Radian tokens to pay the developers, which I don't have a problem with. But I know there was a lot of controversy around, you know, keeping Radian tokens for the developers. And I think your platform is using Radian as, from your white paper. I gathered that, yeah. And, th and that, that for me is really interesting because one of the things in this space is, as, as you said, you can make a fuck ton of money quite quickly if you started early enough or maybe even now but um, there's there's a lot of guys who, who in this space because they really believe in it and, and the guys who don't need the money anymore they're doing it for love now so they're doing it because they really believe in decentralization uh, screw the government screw the banks whatever whatever drives them but it brings an interesting dynamic it brings a kind of community sense to it of, of we ought to be paying the guys developing Raiden so let's buy the token it makes sense and, and I love that kind of um, sense of community to the whole, the whole sort of space it's like your microphones. You started with one and you end up with three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Completely shit. This podcast was recorded, composed for, and mixed by Audio Militia. Leaders in composition, final mix, and sound design. For more info, visit audiomilitia.com. Um, so there's a question here from Leon. He wants to know, uh, please, can you explain some taxation laws regarding crypto and how SARS will tax this? How many of you are this, tax advisors? I think this, this is a question for PwC. Yeah, I was about to say, I think we've got the most qualified person. We're, back to, we're back to shoelaces and then notches and asking me about tax. Okay, I'm, I'm not a tax person. <laughs> Let me say, I think tax guys, I can't see any. Um, I won't pick anybody. I, it, it's, a, it's an open question, I think. So, so I think that this guy, it's not an open question. 
I don't know. I'm winging so, it. So, sorry. My, 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 <laughs> so my firm's actually just, uh, the auditors that we work with uh, in collaboration with them, we've just actually prepared guidance for the South African market. We haven't published it yet because we're still refining it, but, um, but we've just prepared guidance. Again, I, I'm not a tax expert, so I'm going to give you what I understand from what my people are telling me, <laughs> which is that um, we're back, in, as I alluded to before, in the intangible asset space. Um, so from SARS's perspective, uh, you've put money into an intangible asset, and they're quite happy with that. When you dispose of that asset, um, there'll be either a capital gains event, or if you're actively trading and earning an income, there'll be an income tax event. So this actually, I think, co contrary to popular belief, isn't a gray area for, for the receiver at all. They're just not taking it seriously, because in the whole world, there's, what are we currently on, $200 billion in this thing. It's a drop in the ocean. In the South African, in the South African market, SARS has way bigger fish to fry. I think if you put all the crypto traders in South Africa to, together, they'd be worth maybe a 15th of a Gupta. So, you know, <laughs> so we've, um, we've got bigger problems. Um, but if you want to know how to treat this, um, and, and we've actually tested this, we've got good relationships with the receiver, etc. is um, you don't have to declare your crypto holdings, uh, just list it as an asset. Um, it'll fluctuate in value. If you dispose of it once in a blue moon, capital gains tax. If you don't, income tax, if, you, if you're doing it more regularly. So you can think about literally like digital gold, uh, paintings, wine, all the other assets that you can hold. The key, the key thing is that the, neither the Reserve Bank, the receiver, or any other authority sees this as currency in South Africa. So it's very different from trading Forex because I think in the early days, some crypto traders thought they'd be able to treat this like Forex trading. And of course, then there's um, Forex gains and losses, which are computed completely differently. So no, assets, capital gains, income. So and that's so, how I understand. Yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. So that's how I understand it as well. So if you are earning Bitcoin as an income, so I, I've been paying myself uh, Bitcoin for two years as a salary. Uh, from Did you get a bonus? <laughs> that's between me and me. Some, um, some BTC. Um, so I've held on to that Bitcoin, but at the time that you receive the BTC is the time that you declare that amount to SARS. So that was an income, say two years ago, it was 30,000 rands worth of Bitcoin. That is what you declare it at, at that value when you receive it at. Also important to note, though, is that Coinbase has taken, uh, sorry, the IRS in America has taken Coinbase to court and is asking them to show all the records of their clients' activity between 2013 and 2015. So what can happen in South Africa is the regulators can go to Luna and say, show us your records, and we want to see all the gains made between all these people over a certain period of time. So if you are not keeping a record of all your gains, which I know is a headache, um, of your trades and your income, then you should be. And just to make it clear, if you have a Luna account and you haven't been declaring the stuff, firstly, you're a fool, son. <laughs> but but secondly, um, it's not a case of when the receiver comes and asks, like they, they are going to come and no. they are going to have a list of all Luno account holders. Mm. They're going to know who you are and they're going to come and come and ask at some point. So if you haven't already, at least start thinking about it or use a decentralized exchange and keep everything in cryptocurrency or and stuff. Use apparently. Or use Monero or Zcash. I mean, if your purpose is to evade taxes, then absolutely yes. Yeah. But otherwise, just pay your taxes. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, no. <laughs> some, <laughs> some libertarians here in the room. Um, I should probably add that Luno is incorporated in Singapore and Singapore Banking Secrecy Act applies. So it's not just that anybody can come and knock on our door and say, show us the papers. We have not and will not share customer information with third parties. 
Sure. I'll leave it at that. Well, I mean, you know, the receiver doesn't need you to. They just need your bank statement from FNB that says Luno for trillion rand. <laughs> they can, they, the, the, yeah. yeah, the authorities absolutely has, has, uh, has the right or the, or the means to see what um, local currency, what fiat currency is flowing in and out of your bank account. But again, like, don't, don't go on ad- advice that you get on forums. Like, if, you, if you're making a substantial amount of money, pay someone. Yeah. Speak to your tax advisor. Well, keep your money in crypto, right? Yeah. Um, which is a perfectly valid option. And then you don't have to pay tax. Legally, you don't have to. And you can pay people in assets as well. Again, the, the, the law doesn't need to change here because yeah. we're dealing with things that aren't that different. Um, so you can pay people who work for you in chairs if they agree to it. And there's no reason why you can't pay them in Bitcoin or Ethereum either. Technically, that would... I mean, I don't want to go too deep into the tax questions. Technically, that would be a liquidation <laughs> of the asset or on yeah, the no, value absolutely. of what it... Yeah, what but it I'm would. saying, you, you, you know, you can sit on those funds and yeah. you can use them, obviously, within the regulation. Yeah. Um, but, but I think also a lot of people using these Zappo credit cards and... Um, trying to get rid of their Bitcoin through spending it on a credit card yeah. so that they don't have to convert it into fiat currency so that they don't have to declare it to the tax man. Um, but that can also be traced at the end of the day. Your, your credit card transactions can be traced if you audit it. Okay, cool. I just want to take a question from um, the audience here. Where's Grant Pringle? Where's Grant? Geez, dude. Yes, he's the most active guy on Twitter I've ever met. <laughs> Yes, yes. Okay. So he wants to know uh, what your views are on um, Neo. Neo? Neo. Neo, like the Matrix. Okay. Neo. Um, And where do you see them in the future? Neo. So I think Neo is listed about six on CoinMarketCap. It's a very exciting one. I I don't know that much about it, but I've been watching it a little bit closely and it's creeping up. I think there's a lot of hype around it as well, um, so I, I can't comment more on that really. But I know it's very well listed on Coin Market Cap, so the market capitalization of it's quite high. Okay, where's Santosh? Okay, cool. So Tanshras wants to know: in terms of capital raising, how can you compare tokens, non-equity linked or ICOs, to raising traditional securities like debt or equity, which have rights like dividends and interest governed by legislation? It seems like it'll be fraught with scams. What are your views? Yeah, that's that's certainly possible. Um, part of the reason that ICO, ICOs became really hot in the first place was because uh, was because that. Uh, People made a lot of money um, on Bitcoin and Ethereum um, and then some other tokens, and they wanted to diversify. And so they didn't have to put it into a different asset class. They could keep it in, to, they can keep it in crypto and um, put it into other projects that, that look like they had potential. Um, but, but again, an ICO doesn't have to be um, no rights. It doesn't have to be no equity. It can be all of those things. Uh, the the coin is the coin is an or the ICO is the initial coin offering. That coin is just a smart contract that is designed however uh, the the creators of that coin choose. It can it can be linked to revenue sharing. It can be left linked to profit sharing. It can be uh, one one uh, share of stock, um, or it can just be a a cryptocurrency. So um, it's not a it's not a fair apples to apples comparison. Um, it is a it is a riskier asset because there is there are no rights to it there there are no voting rights there are no um, equity or debt rights uh, and there at this point there's there's no government organization that is going to step in if someone just takes the money raised and, and walks away so it is inherently riskier. It's also very difficult to connect it to conventional equity 
So, for for example, in South Africa, you have to register your um, your your you know your share register with with the SIPC, and you have to issue share certificates to shareholders. The problem is, the moment you have a token representing that, the token is inherently portable. So, you know, one of your shareholders could send that token to somebody else who doesn't have a share certificate, isn't on your share register. Um, you know, and the SIPC in South Africa isn't going to honour that. So, um, well, they certainly won't help them out in terms of a claim. Um, so again, I'm not a legal expert, but um, it's difficult. I think, you know, again, nobody in the, I well, very few people in the ICO space are thinking about those problems in lieu of just making contracts and getting as much money as, as quickly as possible. I think the winners in the long term are going to be the guys that start thinking today about how they can hook our conventional systems into smart contracts. So, you know, Solidity is is massively flexible. Um, unfortunately, everybody's hanging on to protocols that were created for a very specific purpose, and they think that that's all that tokens on Ethereum can be. Um, but Solidity would enable you to write a smart contract in which the tokens weren't necessarily that portable, and where perhaps you could connect it to um, your traditional equity holdings, um, for example. Uh, so I think we just need more creativity, and we need more people willing to work hard at this, um, instead of just go for the easy money, clone an ERC-20 token, give it a KIF name, and like raise money. Yeah, and, and one other thing is that we're, we are still trying... We are still trying to fit um, traditional companies that we know to the, the ICO mold, and, and that's, that's the wrong way to think about this. Um, we are just scratching the surface on what can be created because what the ICO will enable is a completely, well, the, the DAO didn't work, so that decentralized uh, approach didn't work. But companies that are created no longer even have to be based in any country. Um, and what is that open? What opportunity can we get from that? Uh, where, where I don't have to go and register uh, a company in South Africa and then Zimbabwe and Uganda. Can I just have this blockchain-based company that operates using this token? Uh, and it's simultaneously everywhere and nowhere. These are the opportunities, and this is the direction that um, that ICOs will really facilitate and, and make um, more um, interesting uh, paths for, for companies that, that don't fit any sort of paradigm that we normally that we live in today. Sorry, can I just add to that? So with the DAO, for example, um, the, the Securities Exchange Commission in the US has said that it's a securities. The DAO is technically a security token. There are three different tokens that you find now. So you've got a cryptocurrency token, you've got a utility token, and then you've got a securities token. So the DAO essentially was a securities token. If the DAO was registered in the US, they would have been in real trouble, but they've got off scot-free because they weren't. I think they were in Germany. Um, so when you're creating an ICO, make sure you understand the differences between the different tokens and what the implications are of regu possible regulation of those tokens. If it's a securities token, you're going to have <laughs> regulation on that. Um, I don't know how South Africa works, but I know the US is very tight with the regulation. And as um, you mentioned, if it doesn't pass the Howey test, then it's going to be a security token. So just make sure you understand all of that. Okay, cool. Where's Jesse Singer? Hey, dude. What's going on? <laughs> uh, he asks, how will decentralized exchanges threaten current centralized models? Vanner? I actually don't think that decentralized uh, platforms are going to be... I think they'll be, they'll be used in very specific use cases, but I think the entry and exit point will still be with an institution that you trust. Now, I'm not saying that you, you, you can never trust a decentralized institution, um, 
it's it's probably on the on the in the in the evolution of of, of exchanges there'll be certain ones that have yeah. certain niches it's and true. they would focus on certain ICOs and that could only work on a decentralized uh, exchange i don't see something like buying tokens for for bitcoin or ethereum buying that on a decentralized uh, platform happening anytime soon I have my doubts. So I think I think decentralized exchanges are going to be massive. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, altcoin. I'm looking forward to the launch. Um, I've, I've, we've done the first few transactions on the testnet. Um, and of course, what makes altcoin different is it's actually an atomic swap. So it's not your conventional exchange model. You literally are going between Ethereum and, and Bitcoin like directly. Um, so so that's that's exciting. It's super efficient. Um, of course, as Werner alerted, alluded to, the, the trick is, is always getting fiat in and out of um, decentralized exchanges. So um, uh, what, what was the big one? BitSquare. Um, was was the first uh, the first they since uh, they've since rebranded, um, but if you've ever used that and you've tried to get fiat into it, Randall dollars, um, you realise that that's that's where the stumbling blocks come because you need an escrow service or something um, that helps you with the trust issues. However, we we are seeing a new wave of investors who again have made a fuck ton of money in a very short period of time. So we've got guys who started out with a few thousand dollars who are now millionaires and they're looking to stay in the space. Um, they're not taking profit, they're cashing out the bare minimum they need to survive and they're fully invested in the cryptocurrency space. This is their money now. So they don't want a bank account, they don't want to cash it out and they want to live in that world. Now, if you buy the hypothesis that a decent percentage of the world market is going to be that way, then decentralized exchanges are the future because we don't need to get fiat in and out of the system. And the moment you don't need to get fiat in and out of the system, then atomic swaps are the future, I believe. So anybody have any questions direct to the guys? There you go. I'll look around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Vanna. Vanna, um, you said something earlier about getting into cryptocurrencies, and I come from a finance background, you can tell by like Apple. Sure. Yeah, I mean, um, as I as I mentioned earlier, when somebody is buying something and they don't know what it is, they're just buying it to get rich. Like, psh, run. Like, doesn't matter if it's cryptocurrencies or not. Um, I think, however, what Simon said is the market is tiny. You might be hearing the conversation, you know, around the bry, but the market is actually tiny. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of like it's a, it's the new it's the new hot thing, uh, but the actual money moving around in the system is actually is actually quite low. So yes, it, it's very frothy. People have been calling it a bubble, or have been calling it dead since I started with Bitcoin in 2013. Now there's just more people saying it, and within the same month you will hear it's dead or it's the future. So um, I take a little bit of a, of a conservative approach with all of these things. Um, but again, if, if you do think you want to start buying a little bit, start with a little bit. The, the amount that you, that you want to invest should basically be the amount of time that you spend researching it. Um, and I think most people fail that test. Yeah. The, the other thing for me is you, you'll find you attract people like that as well. So as soon as the word goes out, you've come. this is a very small portion of society. And, and, and if, if you get a name for, for being in this space, people will come to you and start asking you about it and start questioning you about it. Then you find it's everywhere all of a sudden and, and it, you just notice it because you're, you're attuned to it. So it, it's, it's just such a... And you get-rich-quick scheme, what feels like a get-rich-quick scheme is going to get talked about. 
So I host the Blockchain Africa conferences and this year we had Andreas Antopoulos speak at our conference. He's a very well-known thought leader in the space. I'm sure most of you have heard of him. Um, and he actually said in, in March this year that we are the lunatic fringe. We're not even the early adopters. I think we're now at the early adoption stage. I don't think we're still the lunatic fringe. But it's a small amount of people that are really invested and really understand this technology and the cryptocurrency space. So I get a, a lot of questions from people. Is it too late? Have, have I missed the boat? I got that in January this year when the price was a thousand US dollars. And I said, no, it's not too late. And yesterday someone asked me, is it too late? And the price was seven thousand, oh, well, nine thousand US dollars at least. Um, it's not too late. You are still the early adopters and there's many opportunities around this. Although I, I will add to that that um, you know the notion of early adopters comes from the, the theory of dissipation of innovation. If you've been to business school, you've seen the, the curve. So it's probably the only useful thing you left with that, and, uh, and, 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 and the ability to do a lot of work in a very short amount of time. Um, and, and it's interesting to apply models like dissipation of innovation to to Bitcoin, but but not relevant because because I honestly and and here I, I go on the lunatic fringe, but I honestly believe that this is something we haven't seen before. And so we don't have anything to compare it to. And so it's, you know, it's, it's in our nature to look for things in the past that are the same as this new thing that's happening and then go, oh, well, we've seen this before. This is a bubble or we're at the early adopter stage or what we don't know what's going to happen, right? This is a nascent field. What I do know is that we're being distracted. So the whole idea that we're dealing with digital gold and assets instead of currency is a distraction. It's a very handy one for, for those of us. In fact, I believe it was a designed distraction by the industry. But, but, but another distraction is to compare Bitcoin to things like the market cap of a company. So every time we cross a $100 billion mark, somebody puts out the graph with Bitcoin versus Apple's market cap versus JP Morgan's market cap Most versus God. whatever, right? And they'll say, oh my God, look, uh, Bitcoin is now $100 billion it's the eighth as valuable as Apple, which is like saying there's as many milliliters in a glass of wine as the entire cryptocurrency industry at the moment. It's sort of interesting and amusing, but it's irrelevant because Bitcoin is not a company. Um, and so a more interesting discussion is, is let's pretend for a moment that Bitcoin is a currency or could be a currency, and let's compare it instead of the market cap of companies, let's compare it to world monetary supply. So how much money is there in the world? How big is the financial system, right? 90 trillion. 90 trillion. Some people tell you pure cash, 65 trillion. It's a lot more than what cryptocurrency currently represents. Um, so if, if you look at a $200 billion market cap for cryptocurrency and you, and you put that against global monetary supply, we're dealing with a little sliver, like a drop in the ocean. So if Bitcoin is successful at doing what it plans to do, and it makes it to only 1% of global monetary supply, it's going to 10x on today's price. Yeah, well, actually, we're at 300 billion today. Yes, uh, sorry, 300, 400, wait. What have you got? <laughs> actually, yeah, during this talk, it may have crossed four. Who knows? The thing that you, can, you can't time it. You can't time this market with whichever token that you're going to invest in, so don't try to. I think that if you wait, then all you're going to do is say, oh, I could have gotten in at 10,000 or 1,000 or whatever it was when it's sitting at 100,000. Um, the, the best way to try and deal with that, and you have to go in this knowing that Bitcoin is going to crash and it's going to skyrocket. And those things will happen continually. So your best strategy is to deal with that the way that you would with any other volatile currency or, or uh, asset and put in a little bit at a time or start with a little bit until you feel comfortable and put some more. Um, don't put it in all at once because it could go down to 2,000 tomorrow. 
just spread it out over a little bit of time. Be okay with that. It'll be a safer bet or a safer uh, investment strategy for you. But I think also don't panic because we see these uh, dips and like yesterday, I mean, it was a crazy day yesterday. I don't know if any of you were trading yesterday. I do arbitraging and trading. And um, it was just a wild, I think it's the wildest weekend I've ever seen since I started in 2013 in, in the cryptocurrency space. Um, and I was panicking because I was putting a large amount of money in there, but within five minutes it had completely gone up again. So, you know, in my opinion, long-term holding has been the most lucrative. I do day trading, I do arbitrage and if I do all the calculations, holding long-term is still the best. That being said, though, this year has been a phenomenal year. I mean, we've seen, I think it's 850% growth in one year, year to date. So that does not guarantee to continue next year, although in my personal opinion, I'm very bullish on Bitcoin and I think it will continue. Um, but certainly not over the last three, four, five years. It hasn't been like that. And I think... Sorry, <laughs> And I think to, to Simon's point, we, we've got nothing to to compare this to. We, we're trying to think. Well, it's like the internet in '93. It, it, it's gold. It's there isn't there isn't something useful. And it's the same thing. Trying to apply all the old rules to the new thing. It's it's the same kind of problem. We're trying to get a grip on this thing. And so, what what is this Bitcoin thing? What is this blockchain thing? And, and we don't know. And and, and the the technology behind it, the, whether it's the the blockchain or the tangle or whatever whatever comes to be the next thing, is driving all sorts of other stuff. And Bitcoin is just the first thing that's created out of that at that new use of, of well, that use of new technology. ICOs are kind of the second one, but there's a there's a thousand things we haven't even conceived of yet. They're going to come out of blockchain, and and we don't know what they are. And and they'll they'll we'll, we'll look back and go, geez, remember it was just Bitcoin. Life was so simple. And and it's 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 going to be fascinating to watch this this whole this whole thing kind of grow over the next five ten. Whatever he is. Uh, where's James Reed? Cool dude, you want to ask your question? Yeah. Um, uh, so, two questions, but we'll go with the top one. So, recently, one of the, the biggest exchanges was accused of wash trading where they issued their own tokens to pump the market themselves. I think, what is sort of some of the comments around the exchanges actually being the central threat where we're essentially centralizing the problem, or not central, centralizing. I assume this is the Bitfinex That's ultimately yeah. why, I, why I'll be the boring one in the room and keep going back to saying we need regulation so that we don't have things like that happening, that people don't front run the market. So um, at least for us, our investors know how we operate and they uh, require to see these things. When we, when we meet with banks, they require to see how we operate and that we don't do things like front running, um, that, that happens. Uh, that might not be the case with platform B and platform C. Um, again, it's, it's early days, so I think, um, I think a lot of people have, have good intentions, but they just lack the knowledge to know that it's just part of the evolution of money and that regulation will come at some stage. You might get away with certain things now, um, but you know, reality, will, reality will catch up with that. So um, yeah, I think, I think it's something that might get solved with regulation. Uh, I, do, I do also agree with you that the centralization, like 
Bitcoin, Bitcoin was initially sold um, or, or people fell in love with this idea of it's decentralized and I, I have like financial freedom. I can have my money on a, it's essentially a USB drive in my pocket. But now to actually interact with that, you need to go through a central, central platform like a Luno or you know, a Coinbase in America. Um, and this poses a, a, a problem for a lot of people who, who truly believe in the currency. Um, and, I, and I agree and I understand that that problem exists. I still think that the barriers of entry into creating um, an exchange, for instance, is lower than it would be for creating an, a, a different stock exchange. Even those barriers, though, are, are getting lower. So there's still going to be a healthy competition uh, in the market to, to make sure that dodgy things don't happen. But yes, I don't. I can say on 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 the podcast. I don't trust Bitfinex because uh, I've never been able to meet anybody that works there. Like um, it's it's an incredibly opaque operation. There's, I mean, there's many platforms like that, right? But those should be if you if you're transmitting and trusting someone with a lot a large amount of your money, that should be something very important to you. Like who who are they? Where are they incorporated? Who works here? Are they actual? Uh, are they actual humans that can, you know, like what what are they what are their motives? What are they doing in the background by creating tokens like Tether, and can that be audited independently or not? Uh, so it's it's very opaque, and that's the reason why I don't trust them. But for instance, I've met the guys from Bitstamp and Kraken, and I would trust them a lot more as a result thereof. Yeah, it's a tricky one though. But but I think it goes beyond that, right? Because uh, even even the honest exchanges like Luno, um, you know, they they could be injecting volume into a market that doesn't actually exist. Um, and so I think I think uh, we as users of these exchanges just need to hold them more to account, right? Yeah, like if somebody offers you a voucher to go and get, uh, you know chicken wings at KFC, <laughs> you're going to accept it because KFC has shitloads of chicken wings, so they'll probably be able to give you some. When Bitfinex says we've got these tethers and everyone represents a dollar, the obvious question is, cool, where are the dollars? Show them to me, <laughs> right? Um, there are lots of gold exchanges as well where they tell you they've got a vault full of gold and they'll sell you a token that represents that gold. Cool, show me the gold. Where is it? How do I know that this thing I'm buying actually exists? So I think, again, it's just common sense, which is difficult in this nascent market where things are very technical. People don't understand what, what Bitcoin is to begin with. Um, and so I think a lot of businesses, I'm not saying Bitfinex is one of them. I've actually had very good experiences with Bitfinex, but 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 there, there are a lot of uh, con men out there who are taking advantage of the fact that people don't understand what they're doing um, and and just running with it. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really scared about the uh, the Bitfinex stuff um, for, for more than just the, the hack. Um, don't let's not go into it because there's a, there's a lot of rumors uh, with that. But I think that's the ultimate uh, use case for uh, a decentralized exchange um, or or an atomic swap system. Uh, that's why we need those things in place uh, because as as much of a, the decentralized future as as much as that's what we were promised and that's what we we're hoping for, there is still too much centralization that that does exist in this and that that exists with because we have to rely on companies like Luno and Coinbase. Coinbase holds like some absurd percent of the total number of Bitcoin uh, in in the entire world um, just because they manage everyone's private keys. Um, and then on top of that, you have, in my opinion, uh, a, a decent amount of centralization in, in Bitcoin uh, at the blockchain level because so much power is is, is getting um, to a, or is coming to a small number of miners. And I actually think that the economic model is is going to continue to perpetuate that issue. Um, so we hopefully we'll, we'll see steps that that start to to drive back towards this decentralization because that's ultimately where we do need to be going. 
just to add to that, so I think uh, Bitfinex was uh, on the Twitter page. They mentioned that they had a DDoS attack yesterday. Um, so, and I know they've been hacked before. So definitely do your homework before you buy on an exchange. The other thing is make sure that you, I know Luno stores your private keys. If you're doing large transactions, you shouldn't be storing your private keys on these exchanges. You should have a Jack's wallet, my Ether wallet, Exodus wallet, they're mini, or a hardware wallet. Really, uh, it's very important because a lot of these exchanges are being hacked. But Luno, I believe very strongly in the team and the tech, so I'm, I'm sure what happened to them. But uh, just be aware of that. Okay, just uh, one more question, then we're going to wrap up. Um, who would like the honour? You go, mates. Ah. I've got a question. It's a bit loaded. Um, I'll take the last one. Um, if, if I'm looking at Bitcoin as an asset So, I mean, u utility, it's a payment method, right? So, when in a, in a, uh, Natoshi uh, Nagamoto, sorry, the mouthful, <laughs> Satoshi, um, when he created Bitcoin, he, he said in his white paper, it's a peer-to-peer -peer electronic payment method, right? So, it's a cash system, it's money for the internet, it's meant to be for you and I to transact, to make a payment with each other or to send each other money. But it's also a store of value. So it's got a useful aspect. It is definitely a utility because it's useful. That being said, though, it's become expensive to use Bitcoin and the transactions have slowed down. So you have the Bitcoin Cash, and none of us have spoken about Bitcoin Cash today. I know it's quite controversial, but I thought I'd mention it. So you have Roger Ver backing Bitcoin Cash. Now, there's a lot to be said for Bitcoin Cash. Um, they want it to be a settlement platform where you can compete with the Visa and the MasterCard transaction throughput. Um, what do we want from Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies? Do we want to just be able to tra transact with each other and invest in it as a store of value? Or do you want it to compete with the Visas and the MasterCard? And therefore, you need to decide which one you're going to back. Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Gold. I see on Friday there's a Bitcoin Diamond now. I don't know how many of you know about Bitcoin Diamond. There's another one planned soon as well. And they're all altcoins that should not ride Bitcoin, on the name. Not Bitcoin, not Bitcoin, not Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, you know, Charlie Lee could have launched Litecoin as Bitcoin Lite and confused the market into thinking that this was Satoshi's real vision. He didn't do that. He called it Litecoin. He was honest about it. There's a lot of FUD around Bitcoin at the moment, right? Firstly, the mempool isn't always full, which is one story you might hear. It's only full when it's being spammed by people attacking the network. Bitcoin transactions, and I know I do them more than once a day, they are still fast. If you're going off of SegWit addresses that aren't very busy, they're still cheap. Um, Bitcoin is a magnificent currency. The other piece of FUD that's been spread largely at the moment is around the amount of electricity that Bitcoin um, consumes. It does consume a lot, 
maybe a tenth of what's being reported in the media um, because they ignore things like the fact that there are multiple transactions in a block, etc. Um, but, I, but, but I don't think anybody can dispute what you're saying that Bitcoin as a currency isn't doing so well at the moment because we're not all using it and we probably would be um, if it was that much better. It is a very decent store of value, however. Um, but if you look at its, if you look at its graph, uh, you know, again, to the point we've made before uh, that you can't really compare this to anything else, this thing saw two thing all the way up. So you're right, there's a lot of hype um, and we're going to see more crashes. But Bitcoin could lose, help me with the maths, guys, because I'm terrible. Bitcoin could probably lose 90% of its value overnight and still be worth, what, two and a half, three times what it was at the beginning of the year, right? Okay, the same. <laughs> like I said, I need help with the math. My point is, it could lose a shitload of value um, and still be a decent store of value. I don't think any of us think it's going to lose 90% overnight, even in a severe crash. Um, so I, I personally believe that sawtooth is going to continue. We're definitely going to have dips. We're going to have substantial dips. Um, but the net gain over the five to 10 year outlook is what you should be thinking about as an investor, right? Just hodl. <laughs> um, but as a currency, I think we need to support movements like crypto is currency. I think that that's lost from the narrative today is um, we, we believe lies like blockchain is the important thing and Bitcoin isn't important, right? Which is not true. Bitcoin is the headline. It was designed to be a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. Unfortunately, it, we haven't reached distribution yet. We've got decentralized networks, which was not Satoshi's vision. Satoshi's vision, and I share it, is, is for distributed networks. That's what we're after. It's going to be years before we get there. But if you want to contribute to the space and you really want to help, you need to be taking just a little bit of that Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever you got stored up and actually using it for what it was intended, which is as a currency. Try paying somebody. Try going to Alexander Boyer and on getting a beer. It's not going to be the best experience. Your MasterCard would probably be easier at these bars unless they really know what they're doing and it's like, you know, they, they're the Bitcoin faithful and, you, and, and, and you're going wallet to wallet. But, but use it as a currency. You don't have to use all of it. We need to get like the water running through the system. Otherwise, it's going to dry out. Um, <clears throat> as an entrepreneur, I'll, I'll say that um, you, you never know, you never end up uh, with, your, with the same company at the end as the one you intended to start out with. Um, now, that could be the case with Bitcoin right now. It's not the, the amazing peer-to-peer -peer, uh, cash system that attracted me to it several years ago and I'm sure uh, enticed most of the people that were, were early adopters much earlier than I was. Um, but, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have utility right now. And the utility is, is not a... Uh, it's not a consistent thing. And what it is now doesn't mean that that's what it's gonna be forever. What it is now is not what it was when it started. Um, and so if you think about Bitcoin as, as a platform rather than just a specific product, it, it actually opens up what it can be as it evolves over time. Um, and you can actually start, you actually think if, if you were to build a currency, what would be the steps that you would have to do to actually get it to be a currency? You would need everyone in the world to plow their assets into that currency until it stabilizes and then it can be exchanged. Are we not on that path right now with Bitcoin? We're nowhere near ready to, to transact or facilitate every transaction in the world on the blockchain at this moment. We have decades before we need to, and people will figure it out. Um, but we could just be in the, the part of the growth curve for Bitcoin where it is just strictly necessary for people to, to buy into it just by buying into it. And that can be enough to get it to the point where it does become what we hoped it was from the beginning. Cool, thank you guys so much for your time. Please give our panelists a round of applause.
Um, there will be drinks and snacks served outside, so please help yourself. It is uh, sponsored by PwC, so thanks once again to PwC for hosting, and uh, enjoy the rest of the evening. Thanks so much. Hey guys, so live shows are an incredibly exciting space and are fantastic platforms for thought leadership, education, and ultimately raising awareness of what your brand is doing. So if you'd like to get a live show sorted out for your business, why don't you get in touch with me? Simply drop me a mail at hello at mattbrownmedia.co.za or check out our previous client podcasts for the likes of PwC, NetBank, Missing Link, and the list is growing uh, at mattbrownmedia.co.za and I will see you again soon. Ciao. The Matt Brown Show. This is the Matt Brown Show. Matt Brown Show. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an x.com.